This exhortation was brought to you by the Light Bearers, bringing light until there's no more darkness. A few weeks ago, a few weeks ago shining as lights in the dark world, um, shining as lights in the dark world. Uh, and Minister Bakun has done a very great, great, great job. I learned a lot, you know, listening to those sessions. I'll just, uh, you know, just talk about some things, maybe take it in a different angle. I'll look, we'll be looking at lots of scriptures as usual. But let's, let's start with Ephesians chapter 5. Um, yeah, from verse 8. So I'll read. It says, For you, were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Amen. And it says, walk as children of light. Um, in this version, it has it in parentheses. It says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. And it goes on to say, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Then it says, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Praise the Lord. So it says, um, we were formerly darkness. I will still explore this a lot more, you know, today but let's just stay here with we were formerly darkness but it says but now at this moment you are light in the lord so we should not mistake ourselves as being darkness that was our former self presumably before we got saved but now we are light in the, in the, in the lord praise the lord and he says in line with this just walk as children of light praise the lord let's look at another verse um uh second corinthians Six um, from verse fourteen, uh, we would also see the same contrast because we see the contrast in so many verses of scripture. How that we are no longer darkness; we are actually light. So in Second Corinthians six and fourteen, it says, "Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness?" Praise the Lord. So here is also giving a contrast. In fact, it's relating light with righteousness and darkness with lawlessness. Praise God. It's because it says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has um, have righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? So those two contrasts, you know, is making the contrast. You know, another verse of scripture, Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, giving thanks unto the Father, who has made us meet to the particulars of the inheritance of the saints in light. Then he went on, he says, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of the sun? You know, so he says, we are partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And he now went on to say that he has delivered us, which means we were once under the power of darkness, you know, but now he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You know, let's also open to First Thessalonians chapter Five um, from verse, let's say from verse four, it says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness. It says that emphatically that you are not in darkness, but you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. Praise the Lord. You know, so we can see a very, very emphatic 
theme here, very consistent theme that we are actually of the light and not of darkness. How about First Peter chapter two verse nine? This will be the last thing we'd read uh, before we, you know, move into the middle of the matter today. So First Peter two, two verse nine says, "But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of Him." who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. So he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is truth. This is God's word. Amen. This is reality. This is verity. There's no, um, this is just what we are. He has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, irrespective of how we feel right now, of how things look to us right now. At this moment, anyone who is saved has been called into his marvelous light. Praise the Lord. So, um, you know, we've been talking about, uh, the topic is actually um, shining as lights in a, in a dark world. You know, so we've been talking about lights, um, you know, a lot for the past several weeks. But I just wanted to um, talk about darkness just for a change. You know, what is this darkness that we are shining? Let's just talk about darkness. Praise the Lord. And I wanted to start with, um, a verse of scripture or actually a passage that we know quite well. This is the, the plagues, the nine plague, the, the ten plagues. You know, I'm sure we know the ten plagues uh, in Exodus where, um, you know, Moses, um, you know, wanted to release the Israelites and that Pharaoh would not let that happen. And, you know, God started sending plagues. So we'll just explore one of the plagues which was the plague of darkness. I will see if we can learn some things, you know, today. So uh, we'll see that in Exodus chapter 10. And if anyone is um, writing or, you know, things like that, so we'll start from, let's say, verse 21. And this is the penultimate plague. That is the second to the last one, the, the ninth one out of the 10 plagues. And this was the plague of darkness, praise the Lord. Um, so let's just read it. Exodus chapter 10. Um, starting from verse 21, I'll just read God's word. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Stretch out thine hands towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Now, I didn't want to read all of the plagues, but I'm sure we know that, you know, Moses, God had been telling Moses to, to warn Pharaoh to release um, the Israelites, he had been sending plagues. The first plague was turning the water into blood. The second plague, you know, just, you know, locusts and boils and, you know, things like that. You know, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. In fact, the Bible says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Amen. So by now, we are, we are on the ninth plague, you know, and this is what the ninth plague says. And God said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. Praise the Lord. He says, even darkness which may be felt. You know, and Moses stretched forth his hands towards heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. They saw not one another. Neither rose any from his place of, for three days. But all the children of Israel had, had light in their dwellings. Praise the Lord. So the first thing we notice is that this darkness was only in the side of Egypt. You know, the Bible says in verse 23 that all the children of Israel still had light in their dwellings. You know, but it says 
He says, he says, he told Moses, he says, stretch out thy hand towards heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. He says, this kind of darkness is not the normal. He says, even darkness which may be felt. What kind of darkness is that? You know, I'm sure none of us have experienced this kind of that darkness that you can feel it. Amen. And the Bible says um, Moses obeyed, you know, and he stretched forth his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days. Praise the Lord. Now, I don't, I would like us to just stay here a little bit and not rush, just to get the essence of this. The first question I have is, what kind of darkness could this have been? You know, this thick darkness that may be felt, which means they, they could feel it maybe with their hands or something, there's just something thick in the atmosphere. You know, what kind of darkness can be so thick that if that the Egyptians could not see each other or anything for three whole days? Praise the Lord. Remember that just like us, like we know, the Egyptians definitely were familiar with the concept of night. All of us experience day and night. So you could not have been talking about night here. You know, we know when it is night, we know when, and even when it's night, when you need to do something, you can just easily light, turn off your, your, your switch. Or I'm sure in this time, they'll just light a candle or, or lamp and they'll see if they need to get to the bathroom or something, you know, they would see. But this darkness was different because even lamps were not working. Candles would not work. Amen. You know, and I don't think it was the lamp or the candle's fault. You know, I think, I believe that at that moment, there there just ceased to be a concept of light. You know, at that moment, you can say that the substratum or the, the thing that supports the possibility of there being physical light was no more. This was a different kind of light. Amen. It was a thick one. It was a different kind. It's not like the night light. I'm sorry. Different kind of darkness. Sorry. It wasn't, it's not the kind of darkness that you have at night. You know, it's not a kind of one. You know, it was a different one. It was a deeper one. You know, the kind of, a kind of darkness that they had never seen or known before. Praise the Lord. So I imagine that when the thing just start, happened and they were just like, what is this? Am I blind? You know, and they were just feeling around. I'm sure after a while, they just resigned themselves and they just remained on their beds because the Bible says um, they remained on their beds for three days. Praise the Lord. So what kind of darkness is it that candles, lighters, lamps, even the sun and the moon have no effect? Amen. Just a question, but let's go back to the story to see if we can find some clues. Um, and don't forget that, you know, before we, you know, delve much deeper, don't forget that at this point, this was one of the final plagues of Moses. Amen. It was the penultimate plague. It was the second to the last one. The last one being the final one, the straw that broke the camel's back. At that point, Pharaoh just let them go, <laughs> you know. So there were, if you remember, recall, there were 10 plagues in total. To the uninformed, to just be like, oh, God was just doing magic, was just doing random plagues, was doing, oh, bring locusts, bring boils. No, you know, on careful observation, those plagues were actually judgments on Egypt. You know, but because Egypt was a very, you know, almost like very confident kind of society. They were depraved, they were godless. They didn't reckon with God. You know, they enslaved the Israelites, they treated them badly and things like that. 
So instead of reckoning with God, they had a host of gods, small g now, created after, you know, after different parts of nature. So they will say, this God is the God of fertility. This is the God of the sun. In fact, Pharaoh is actually the God of the sun, something like that. They'll say, this is the God of farming or harvest. This is the God of this. So they created several gods after, you know, parts of nature. So there's a God of, for locusts, a God for health, a God for childbirth, and so on. You know, so the plagues were actually judgments on Egypt. And each of those plagues was a patient, and it was a series of judgments. It was methodical. God was just not doing things wishy washy. Praise the Lord. You know, um, for example, if we look at the first plague, you know, the first plague was when um, Moses turned the water of the Nile, River Nile, to blood. Now, if you know anything about River Nile, River Nile was like, you know, it's, it supplied most of their, their farmlands. It was just the source of their strength. But they had a god that represented that River Nile. The name of that god is Apis or Apis, you know. So when God turned that blo- uh, river to blood, it was a judgment on their God, that Apis, judgment on Apis. Amen. It was a judgment on that. It almost like, oh, this is what you trust. I'm going to turn it into blood. And of course, it wasn't enough to um, make Pharaoh change his mind. The second plague also, all the plagues were judgment on their gods. The second plague was a mockery, you know, a judgment on their goddess of birth. Because that goddess of birth is a, is a frog-headed goddess. You know, and because they respected that goddess a lot, there was this um, law that you can't kill any frog because the frog represented that goddess. You know, so no one killed. Um, so God, that plague was like God sending a plague of flo- frogs, several hundreds and thousands, amen, to torment them, to show that, okay, this thing that you, um, you know, believe in, that you reverence, I'm going to make it so much of it and they will die and when they die their piles of rotten stinking flesh you know would be an offense to you so it was a judgment on that so you know i won't go into all the plagues but all the plagues had you know the ones for the low costs one you know for this and that you know and god did it you know like you see in exodus chapter 7 verse 17 it says that you will know that i am the lord praise the lord so it was a judgment on egypt all the plagues you know, so it's as if God was taking his time to deal with the Egyptians. He was taking his time patiently. It was strategic. It was symbolic. And what's more interesting is that every new plague was more severe than the previous one. You know, the final one was when he killed all the firstborn sons in Egypt. You know, it was always, it was getting progressively worse and worse. You know, so by the time they got to this ninth one, which is the focus of what I'm talking about now, things had become really intense. You know, this is a plague where there was extreme darkness over Egypt. And, you know, then the next one was the final one where the angel of death killed all the firstborn males. So let's just go back to that verse quickly. Exodus chapter 10. So the Bible says that the Lord said unto Moses, stretch out thine hand towards heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand towards heaven. And there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days, they saw not one another. Neither arose any from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. Praise the Lord. 
And as you read this, you know, I'm sure you can see the how solemn it is, you know, the pronouncement. Something ominous is coming. Amen. You know, and that's what happened. So for three days, there was deep darkness. No one could see a thing. Praise the Lord. Now, I've said, um, you know, these are judgments. What's the significance of this plague of thick darkness that no lights could illuminate? You know, as I said before, is is judgment. Or what exactly, how exactly is it judgment? Let's go somewhere. Um, Genesis 1. Um, in the beginning, where this was the last time we saw this kind of darkness. I believe it's a similar kind of darkness. You know, because in Genesis 1, there was a kind of darkness that came before the darkness of the night. If you understand what I mean. Let me just read it. Genesis chapter 1 from verse 1. And even Minister Ibukun spoke about this, I believe, a few times over the past few weeks. Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And the Bible says, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. You know, and the spirit of the Lord, God moved up upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. You know, and God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So imagine much later, he now divided darkness into day and night. And then there was night much later. But before there was night, there was real darkness that was over the face of the deep when the earth was without form and void. Amen. So what we can say is that before the darkness that we call night today, there was a deeper quality of darkness that enveloped the earth. Before God created what could even sustain the sun and the moon and any of the natural light, there was a deeper kind of light. You know, and at this point in the earth, you know, the earth was chaotic, it was desolate. The Bible says it was without form and void. Amen. You know, the, the, the Hebrew calls it the hubo, which means almost like the earth was a cosmic wasteland. There was no light, no creative power, no illumination, no enlightenment, nothing going on. And it's in that state that the, the Spirit of God just came on the scene and moved over the waters. Amen. So it should have been a a hopeless situation, but God says the spirit of God came and brooded over that situation. And then the first thing God commanded was, let there be light, and there was light. And it's later that God divided the light into day and night. So there was a true darkness before there was ever the darkness of the night. You know, and that true darkness is what you see when God isn't manifest in the situation. Amen. So that darkness is what happens when God's creative and sustaining power is not available in a place. All of a sudden, you just have that chaotic darkness. It's a wasteland. You know, and I believe God was showing the Egyptians a small sample of that. You know, he removed the substructure so that they couldn't even light anything because the thing that supports light was no more there. You know, it was a symbol of God not being present with them. You know, it was a judgment on them. It's like God just checked out. <laughs> you think, oh, you're godless, and you don't know that I'm the one that's been sustained. And just checked out, and real thick darkness took over the, the land of Egypt. Praise the Lord. You know, another way we can say it, we can call it abandonment. You know, God withdrew his lights, you know, along with his blessing and every other thing associated with his manifest presence. And they just, you know, fell into serious thick darkness. Praise the Lord. 
So darkness, you know, the main point I'm saying here is that it was judgment. And darkness is associated with God not being present, with God's abandonment. You know, God is not there. His manifest presence is not there. Praise the Lord. We'll find something similar in the Gospels. You know, this happened on the cross. Let's open there, Matthew chapter 27. Uh, Matthew chapter 27. I'll read verse 45 and 46. Matthew chapter 27. So this was Christ on the cross, Jesus on the cross. Amen. The Bible says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. For three hours, there was darkness. You know. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Praise the Lord. You know, why was there darkness? It's because God checked out. And why did God check out? It's because at that point, Jesus had become sin. The Bible says, in, uh, it says God is of um, uh, purer eyes than to behold sin. He checked out. Jesus had borne the sins of mankind on his body, you know, and God, for the first time in Jesus' experience, could not be there with him. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he had made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. So at that point, Jesus had been made sin, you know, was paying the price. So at that moment, judgment was taking place. You know, Jesus was bearing the sins of the whole world. And he experienced abandonment by God. And that was symbolized by that darkness, you know, which lasted for three hours, you know. You know, and that's why Jesus cried. Praise the Lord. You know, so he cried because he could just feel it that God had left. He says, my God, my God, why art thou forsaken? God had left him. Praise the Lord. You know, if you notice, you know, throughout all the time, Jesus was being punished, was being whipped. You know, he didn't express all this kind of emotion. You know, when they beat him, when they spat on him, when they put vinegar in his mouth, you know, he didn't. He didn't really cry like this. There's no record of Jesus crying like this. But the moment the father turned his face from him, he, Jesus could not take that. He cried, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? You know, as I said, the physical darkness, you know, was a symbol of God's abandonment, the absence of God's manifest presence. Praise the Lord. You know, so as we go into this topic, you know, I said I wanted to focus on darkness. You know, I just have us understand that we have the same scenario today. Darkness worldwide. You know, do we have the same jet black darkness today that maybe we can't see anything? No, not necessarily. But we still have darkness because anywhere that God is not glorified, worshipped, and accepted is a dark place. Amen. You know, so we have darkness in high places. In Europe, is a, a pandemic. That's a real pandemic. In Europe, in America, in pockets of Africa, you know, that's darkness. You know, because anywhere where, you know, you have juju, atheism, secular humanism, all these funny things, where people are just wise in their own conceits, that's a dark place. So, spiritually, a lot of the world today is dark. But people do not know it because, you know, they don't recognize God. You know, they don't recognize God. They're choosing to live in their own way. Amen. Let's read something in um, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, from verse 20. 
So it says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. See that? You know. says, for since the creation of the world, the invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. What does this mean? He's saying that since the creation of this world, anybody who has a brain can see that God definitely created this. You know, even if you can't see God, you can see that a supreme being had to have created this. That's what he's saying. Invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Amen. So that they are without excuse. So there's no excuse. You know, it's like uh, when, you know, um, David says in Psalm 19, says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Anyone that sees knows that God definitely created this, but they didn't want to. They had no excuse, but they did not want to glorify him as God or be thankful. You know, so instead they created something else. It says they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. So their hearts were darkened because they did not embrace God. God was not present and his light could not, you know, be shown in their hearts. Praise the Lord. So here you can almost see Paul being like passionate, like, you know, he's saying a passionate speech. You can hear the surprise in the stone. Can't you see, you know, all these things support this. God is in all this. Why are you not glorifying him? Why are you not thankful? Why are you, why are you becoming futile in your thoughts? You, you don't have an excuse. Even if you are blind, you can see that everything was created by him. Almost like that's how Paul is talking. I mean, anyone with a brain can, can see that God, you know, created all this, you should submit to him, you should be thankful, you should glorify him and all of that. But they couldn't. You know, and why was it easy for them to ignore God in spite of all evidences? You know, as I said, as I said um, severally, much of it traces back to Adam. Amen. You know, because ever since Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve sinned and lost fellowship with God, something changed within mankind. You know, uh, mankind died spiritually. It was cut off, you know, cut off from God, cut off from fellowship with God, cut off from the light source, such that darkness now became the default state of his heart. Praise the Lord. So mankind sinned and he died spiritually. He didn't die physically, but his heart became dark. He died spiritually. And he recognized that shift. You know, he knew something had changed. He knew that God's presence God's presence was now almost like judging him. So he wanted to hide away. He became afraid of God because something had changed in him. Let's read it. It's Genesis chapter 1 from verse, I'm sorry, chapter 3 from verse 6. Um, this was after the, okay, so from verse 6 it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat, and also gave unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Praise the Lord. So they knew they were exposed now. And the Bible says, and they sewed fig trees together and made themselves apron. 
And then they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. For the first time, they hid themselves because they were ashamed. They lost all confidence. They, they, they felt judged. Praise the Lord. So they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And God, Lord God called unto Adam says, and said unto him, Where art thou? And he says, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Praise the Lord. So something had changed. His heart was darkened and he lost all confidence. He wanted to hide away. You know, and since that time, since the time in this episode in the Garden of Eden, man has been trying to hide away. Amen. You know, in different ways, he has been trying. You know, he may try to hide it under a physical, under a multitude of terms. You use, you know, or maybe, you know, bury his head in philosophy, read the works of Aristotle and Kant and all these people, you know, read atheism and pretend like all is well, pretend like he's wise and just reject religion, reject God. But what he's doing is, is hiding. He doesn't want to confront a truth that is very obvious. You know, some other people will blunt their mind with drugs and alcohol or fill their days with many activities so that they're so busy, so that you can't get to, you never get to think about the state of your heart. You know, but deep inside, you know. Praise the Lord. So man became more comfortable in the dark. Praise the Lord. You know, it became more comfortable because that's what his heart was more comfortable with now. He didn't want judgment. So if someone is trying to talk to him about God, he says, no, no, no. I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear about it because he doesn't want to be judged. Praise the Lord. And in that state, evil thrives. A multitude of depravities begin to show. Praise the Lord. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in old abandoned houses. Let's imagine like the, the windows are boarded or maybe they're abandoned. or Maybe bushes have grown to block the windows and there's no light in there. If you go into that kind of house, you bust in, you know, you most likely see all manners of infestations. You may be roaches scampering around to hide, or maybe small rats. You see ants' heels, you know, ants around. You just see a lot of things. You see cobwebs and all manner of things. You know, why are those roaches and rats comfortable being in those houses? It's because there's no lights there. There's no activity there. They can thrive and do their evil deeds in peace. Praise the Lord. So that's how man wanted to be. You know, it's similar to all these drug addicts or people who sell contraband things. They like to stay in the dark alleyways, you know, in those shadowy places, protected by the darkness because they do not want to be seen. Praise the Lord. Let's open to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 19. John chapter 3, verse 19. You know, speaking about this book, he says, and this is the condemnation. That light, you know, this was Jesus speaking. He says that light is coming to the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Praise the Lord. So they loved the dark because their deeds were evil. They loved the dark because it made them feel less judged. They loved the dark because it was more in keeping with their state of heart. Praise the Lord. You know, I remember I said that uh, the state of our hearts changed after the fall of Adam. You know, so for all of us, for anyone who is, who is unsaved, any unsaved person in this world, you know, our hearts were darkened. 
And if we are saved now, we can say in the past, our hearts were darkened too. Praise the Lord. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 8, it says something. It says, for you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the world. Then it says, walk as children of light. So it says, we were sometimes darkness. That was the state of our hearts. He says, but now we are light in the world. Then he's instructing us, walk as children of light. Praise the Lord. So as we begin to wind to a close, I'd just like us to notice a few things, you know, in the wording of this verse. You know, the first thing I'll, note, I'll have us notice is that it says, we were sometimes darkness. So it means it's past tense for us that are saved. It doesn't say we are darkness. It says we were. So we were formerly darkness. You know, a version has it as we were once darkness. Where it says, but now we are light. So that's the first thing to notice that we were darkness is, is in the past. The next thing to notice is that it doesn't say in the past we were we walked in darkness. Even though that is also correct, that's also true. And I believe there's a verse like that. But it doesn't say in the past we walked in darkness. It says we ourselves were darkness. Praise the Lord. Now, it's a subtle difference. But we were ourselves were darkness. You know, it's one thing to be in a dark environment. But it's another thing to be the source of darkness yourself. To That your own nature itself is darkness. That's what he's saying here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. He says, we ourselves were darkness. Praise the Lord. We were depraved. You know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says it very well. It says of us, it says, and you hath he quickened. To quicken means to make alive. It says, who were dead in trespasses and sins. It says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in times past, the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So that's how we were. We were darkness. Every manner of depravity was found in us. Why? Because we ourselves didn't just walk in darkness. We were darkness. Praise the Lord. You know, there's a reason I'm saying this. So we were darkness. Let's open to another verse in the uh, chapter in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, um, from verse 17. I'll read from verse 17 to 19. It says, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord that you walk henceforth, not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their minds, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their hearts. You know, who being in the past feeling, past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness and greediness. So he says, we. Do not, should not walk like the Gentiles, that is the unsaved, that is in the vanity of their minds, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. So for anyone in the world today who is unsaved, this is their state. Their understanding is darkened. You know, so they were dark, they are dark. So as I said before, they themselves, we ourselves in the past, before we go say, we were ourselves darkness. You know, we're not victims of darkness or results of darkness. We were darkness ourselves. Praise the Lord. You know, <laughs> I'm sure that's something that makes me laugh. I'm sure we've seen parents sometimes that have 
you know, rebellious children. You know, maybe these children are delinquents or they've joined bad gangs or they've dropped out of school and they are just parting with the parents' school fees, you know, just, just bad children, you know, or they do drugs and things like that. Sometimes when you hear the parents talking, they say things like, I know, I know, I know my child is a fine child. It's because of the bad friends and associates that he keeps around him, that the ones that corrupted him. You know, but many times that's not the case. Every everyone thinks their child is great, but it's the other evil children around that's influencing him negatively. But sometimes it's your own child himself that is a jagaban. It's your own child himself that is influencing every other person. It's your own child that is corrupting others even. Or they're all corrupting themselves. No one thinks, everyone just always thinks that, oh, this, this source must be outside. No, it's your child. Sometimes it's your own child. You know, so maybe the others are saying, let's just drink this alcohol and rub this. And your child is also adding more fuel to the fire, saying, yeah, let's also smoke weed and, and smoke cocaine. Let's do it like that. Let's, and they're saying, ah, are you sure? And it's, it's your own child that's saying, don't be boring. Praise the Lord. You know, so sometimes it's the children themselves that just by nature evil like that. And they're all um, negatively influencing each other. You know, it's just to illustrate, you know, what we're saying that we ourselves, we're, some, we're darkness. We didn't need any external influence to corrupt us. Our hearts were dark when Adam fell. You know, the Bible says our foolish hearts was darkened. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19. Let's quickly open to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19. You know, the Bible says here, it says, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 19, it says, The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. stumble. Who is the wicked? Not necessarily someone who, the wicked is just the unsaved, the unrighteous, you know. It says, The way of the wicked is darkness. He doesn't need to source for it. This thing. It's just darkness. Praise the Lord. So when Adam fell, we became spiritually dead. And the devil reigned over us. Praise the Lord. He reigned over us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, speaking about the devil, it says, And the God of this age has blinded the minds and hearts, the minds of them that believe not. Praise the Lord. So we were darkness. We're also being influenced by the darkness. We were just blind and all of that. Praise God. So to more accurately define the darkness, we can call it a system. Or a realm, you know, if you remember back uh, what I was saying about Egypt, the darkness of Egypt, we can call it a system where God's manifest presence is not found. You know, just like the darkened abandoned house I spoke about earlier, you know, where you find roaches, vermin, all manner of critters roaming about, you know, every evil imaginable taking place. You know, that's darkness. So you can call the darkness a domain of unbelievers with Satan as a head and God being absent. Praise the Lord. You know, so as I said, it's not like the unbelievers are pure or neutral and it's just the devil influencing them. No, they themselves are the darkness. Praise the Lord. So what does this mean? If, for example, you have several unbelievers in a building and you just let them act in their, without any sense of constraints, just in their normal, um, in their normal, what they feel like doing, they will naturally create darkness. They don't need to bring it from, from, from the exterior, you know. So darkness is a domain where every, if every influence is impure, every influence is godless and demonic. Praise the Lord. You know, let's open to Luke chapter 22. 
Um, this was shortly before Jesus' arrest. Luke chapter 22, um, verse 47. I'll just read it. You know, and he's, while he yet speak, behold, a multitude. And, um, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near, near unto Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, Judas, betrayest thou the son of man with a kiss? When they which were about him, that is those who were around him, saw what was about to follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, Suffer ye thus far. And he touched his hair and healed him. Then Jesus said unto the chief priests and captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was dealing with you in the temple, you stretched forth no hands against me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And this is where I'm going. What does this mean? You know, you know, why did they call it the power of darkness? You know, the answer is that it's almost like he's saying that I can see the influence of a well-organized system in all this. You know, from Judas betraying me with the keys to the elders, to the chief priests around, to all of these soldiers coming with swords and staves to arrest me, and even the devil himself in the background who's working behind the scenes. I can see a congregation of darkness working to have me killed. So he said, behold, this is your hour and the power of darkness. Praise the Lord. This is the power of darkness. So he's saying, this is the domain of darkness. This is, I can see a, a, an organized system. So as we begin to close the next few minutes, you know, we were darkness and we functioned in such a domain. We had no, the Bible says, in Ephesians says, we, without God and without hope in this world, that was what we were. We had no, that was just how we had to live. But thank God, Jesus came and he gave us a new way out. Praise the Lord. You know, um, Isaiah prophesied something about us in the Old Testament. You know, Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter, chapter 9, he made a prophecy, verse 2. He says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, Isaiah was speaking into the future, you know, because it hadn't happened then. He says, the people that walked regularly in darkness, because that was just their nature. He says, they've seen a great light. What is that great light? The great light, it was a prophecy about the coming light. That's the future light of Christ's coming. It was prophesying because we know that Jesus is the light of the world. So Jesus is actually the cure to our separation problem because once we are aligned to God, all the darkness dissipates. We are dark because God separated us from us, you know, because of what happened in the, um, in the Garden of Eden. But Jesus is the cure. So he prophesied, he says, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. We have seen a great light. You know, and that prophecy was fulfilled in John chapter 8, verse 12. You know, one day Jesus spoke to the disciples. You know, he was, he was speaking to the disciples. He says, then speak Jesus unto them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Of life, praise the Lord. So we have the light, light of life. We can say, today I have the light of life. I do not walk in darkness. What a confession! Praise God. So we are no more like that. What we were in the past. We now we are now in union with God. And I want to even um, um, impress us even more, much more than having the light of life. 
you know, much more than seeing the light of life. You know, the Bible, the prophecy was that people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. You know, Jesus said, we'll have the light of life. Much more than seeing and having it, we ourselves also became light. Praise the Lord. Because there was this transformation in our spirits. Amen. So remember how we said, I said, you know, we were darkness, truly darkness, verily darkness in the past. Well, the breaking news today is that we are now light. The same way we were darkness, today we are now light. So it's not just that we fellowship in the light. We ourselves have become light. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellences of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, if that was not clear enough, Jesus declared unto us in, in emphatic fashion in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you yourself are the light of the world. You are the light of the world because your spirit has changed now. He says, you are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. So our nature has changed. We are the light of the world. And when you are the light of the world, you're only, you only have one response, and that response is to glow. What does it mean to glow? To glow is just to live your nature, to live as you were made to live. And how do we do that? You know, by, as we pray and as we study the word of God, we come to better know who we are and we're able to manifest our true nature because we are indeed light. It doesn't matter how sophisticated the world looks, how, how clean they look or how beautiful. If they don't have God, they are darkness. They don't just walk in it. They are, they are constantly churning out darkness. They are producing it. They are a darkness factory. And when they congregate together, only darkness can come out. In their town hall meetings, in their gatherings, only darkness can come out. But we are not that. You know, we can glow. We are the light of the world. We can, we, we, as, as we pray, as we study, you know, we, we become even more enlightened. We become brighter. You know, and that's why we can challenge the false wisdom of this age. We can pierce the darkness. We can put stones into the shoes of the most educated atheist or philosopher. You know, he'll say, and those people, they just read a lot. They they can just tell him something and he he has no answer because he's beyond his realm. His heart is darkened. Praise the Lord. We can challenge the systems of this world. And that's what it means by shining as light in the dark place. But within you is the true light. Praise the Lord. So I'll just close with a passage of scripture because we are, our time is up. Um, popular patches of scripture. And then we just pray for the next couple of weeks. Isaiah chapter 60 from verse 1. You know, this was an instruction, you know, for us. He says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and the, his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and the kings to the brightness of their rising. Let's just go ahead and pray. You know, you know, that's why um, we, we gather, 
you know, and that's why, you know, if you read several portions of the scripture, you know, for example, when uh, Paul was trying to talk about order in the church, and I was talking about prophecy and things like that, that's something that happens when believers gather, you know, because each of us is a light on our own. And when we combine, it, can, it just causes like an explosion. We saw that kind of thing, you know, in the book of Acts chapter two in the first church, you know, in what we call, you know, Pentecost and all that, you know, when they were all gathered in one place, you know, and the spirit of God, you know, lighted them heavily. And they were on top of them, cloven tongues like as of a fire. Each of them had their own fire. You know, we can charge each other. When someone is low, we can encourage each other because we have a heart. You know, I spoke about the people, you know, the unbelievers who function in the domain headed by the devil. They don't have to think. They only bring out darkness. We ourselves too, when we gather, we bring out light. We encourage each other. We sharpen each other's swords. You know, Bible says iron sharpens iron. You know, we can do glorious things. We can do, um, you know, marvelous things. Why? Because we are naturally light. We are intrinsically light. He has changed our constitution. He has changed our, our hearts. You know, so we gather. We, we pray together. The Bible says do not um, neglect the gathering together of the saints as a manner of some is. You know, we do all of these things because we have something to offer. We are not empty. I just wanted to mention that, you know, as we close, um, 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 song and um, Laulu can, you know, close. I just, I just wanted to mention that.